And the four um, things we really look at the most within that range. So while it's 70 to 140, if you're between like 130 and 140 all day, obviously that's not optimal. And so 140 is kind of what we set as a baseline for that peak glucose value, but we also want to look at average glucose value and we recommend 105 or lower, which is, you know, a tighter threshold than what the A1C is equivalent is for like prediabetes. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm going to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. I'm just going to put it out there today because I'm so freaking passionate about this topic for you and not just for you, but for you and your family and the people that matter most to you. Now, I have a feeling that deep down, you know that this is true as well, that one of the biggest root causes of hormonal imbalances is metabolic dysfunction, which is an inability for our cells to efficiently utilize energy from substrates like sugar and fat, along with insulin resistance, which is a key driver, if not the key driver of metabolic dysfunction. Now, I don't know about you, but the spectrum of metabolic driven diseases really concern me because they can start so young. For example, did you know that a recent study in JAMA Pediatrics found that nearly one in three adolescents and teens have prediabetes and the rate among 12 to 19 year olds more than doubled in the year 2000s. So from like 2000 to 2020, jumping from 12% to 28%. Now, I don't know about you, but that number is shocking and staggering. The fact that we have almost... 30% of our teens struggling with prediabetes is so scary. Also, another fact that I want to share is that insulin resistance is one of the biggest root causes of polycystic ovarian syndrome, which affects close to 6 million women today, including women in their late teens and early 20s. Now, we know that PCOS is one of the root cause drivers for infertility in women today. And we now know, according to the World Health Organization, that one in six women are struggling with infertility as of this year. That's why it's one of the areas that I believe we have got to focus on, not just for our overall health, but also for our longevity. Our metabolism is tied to how we age. So we got to ask ourselves, how do we want to age? How do you want to feel in your mid to late 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond? Because getting clear on that and then taking the steps to optimize your cellular energy is really the name of the game. 
So today I invited Kara Collier, co-founder of NutriSense, to share her insights about metabolic health and blood glucose, given the data that they have assessed at NutriSense over the past four years. Now, Kara and I share many benefits to monitoring our metabolism by using a continuous glucose monitor and tracking our blood glucose levels throughout the day to fully know which foods and lifestyle behaviors are sabotaging our blood sugar, insulin, metabolism, and energy levels because it's all tied together. Every single one of those blood sugar, insulin, metabolism, energy, it's all interconnected. It's literally our metabolic machine. And again, I don't know about you, but right now I can use all the energy I can get, especially because I'm recovering from post-concussion syndrome. Now, in case you don't follow me on Instagram, for the past month, I have been following an intense concussion protocol to reduce brain inflammation and injury from two concussions that I unfortunately experienced in June. A little over three weeks after the first concussion, I guess a week after the second concussion, my symptoms became significantly worse and I wasn't able to think or concentrate. It felt like there was extreme pressure and pain constantly. Work tasks that used to take me 10 minutes were taking me up to an hour, and I was suffering from consistent and debilitating migraines. I actually ended up having 12 days of intense migraines, and they got more and more severe until I finally went to the ER on July 8th to rule anything scary out with a CT scan. Luckily, that CT scan was negative, and thankfully, the ER doctor gave me pain meds to finally break my migraine cycle. But when I left the ER, it felt like my brain stopped functioning. I couldn't shower or fold the laundry and everyday tasks, like even getting myself some water or walking around the house felt insurmountable. So I immediately started a two to four week concussion protocol. And I'm currently at the end of week three, close to week four, when I'm recording this. Now, my progress has felt slow at times, and I'm about 60% recovered or so, and luckily, my worst concussion symptoms are gone. I'm talking the nausea, the dizziness, the light sensitivity, the extreme fatigue, the sound sensitivity, the insane amount of pressure, and what it feels like, you know, a strained brain. Like, I know if you've ever had yourself, like, you had a terrible headache, and you were trying to concentrate and everything just hurt. So luckily, most of those symptoms are gone. Now I will tell you that my progress has not been linear. I've had many setbacks over the past three plus weeks, and it has been very hard because my sweet two and a half year old really wants his mama back and for me to feel better. At one point he told us that he wanted daddy to have the headaches and to not feel good. He basically wanted Alex to take one for the team so that mama could be with him more. Man, it just broke my heart into a million pieces that our our little toddler was like, listen, dad, I am so done with mom not feeling good anymore. It is your turn. And so my healing journey has had a profound impact on all areas of my life, work, family, and especially how I show up as a mama And every day, I just hold the vision of having a fully healed brain. Man, like you just don't know how much your brain is really running the show 
until you get, you know, multiple brain injuries and then you realize, oh my God, like I can't do anything. (sighs) Now, a part of my protocol is eating an anti-inflammatory diet, which is exactly the one that I created for my 14-day detox plan. And it's the one I've used to get my Hajimoto's into remission. It's the one I use during my pregnancy and my postpartum journey. Like I cannot tell you how often I have relied on this protocol. Now, I have been on that anti-inflammatory protocol for over two months because I started it in early, early June um, and will continue for 90 days minimum. I know that reducing my oxidative stress and cellular inflammation is key to me fully healing. And what I have learned and what I've always known is that food is medicine. Food along with supplementation, hyperbaric oxygen treatments, energy work, cranial sacral work. I mean, I'm doing so much rest, meditation, but food is one of the biggest things because it's the one thing that we make a decision on multiple times a day. So because I know how important this is, especially when we are in our healing journeys, I want to make sure that you have all the tools and hacks to balance your blood glucose in real time. Because I will tell you that I know that having an efficient metabolic engine is crucial, along with maintaining a flat blood glucose curve in order for me to get well. So I want to make sure that you have all the hacks to balance your blood glucose in real time without a lot of effort. So I am gifting you my top blood sugar hacks guide with the most up-to-date research-backed strategies to keep your blood glucose in balance, especially after meals and you can find the link in the show notes. Now, I would love to, now that I've updated you a little bit, I want to jump into this interview with Kara. And before I do, I want to quickly sing her praises. Kara Collier is a co-founder and VP of Health at NutriSense, one of America's fastest-growing wellness tech startups. After becoming frustrated with the shortcomings of traditional healthcare system, she made it her mission to help others to reach their maximum health potential using technology and expert coaching. She's a leading authority on the use of continuous glucose monitor technology for health optimization and disease prevention. Kara is a registered dietitian nutritionist, licensed dietitian nutritionist, and certified nutrition support clinician. Let's welcome Kara to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Kara, honey, how are you doing today? I am well. So excited to be here. I am so happy to have you here. I've been looking forward to this interview for months. I know we scheduled this a little while back and here we are together. And what I would love to have you start with, because I'm not only am I so inspired by the work that you do, by the company that you run and co-found, but the mission that you have, because I feel like it's very similar to my own mission. And I just would love for you to share kind of what was that defining moment or that impetus that said, you know what? this is a mission that I am going to just take on. And I know that I need to be a part of this solution. And in turn, what what you ended up coming with that is creating NutriSense, which is an opportunity for people to get a continuous glucose monitor and track their blood sugar levels. And so I know we're going to get more into the nitty gritty. I know a lot of my audience already knows about your company and has probably worn CGMs and used your technology, but I would just love to hear from you kind of what was it that, that had you decide to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a registered dietitian originally, um, and I started my career in more traditional clinical nutrition world. So I was working in the hospitals with sick patients, primarily ICU, critical care nutrition. 
Um, and I was seeing people mostly come in with complications of lifestyle-related chronic conditions. Um, when we think of ICU, we usually think of gunshot wounds or car accidents, but a lot of what you see are urgent leg amputations because of uncontrolled diabetes or needing to put someone on dialysis because of uncontrolled hypertension. These type of situations you start to see every single day. And there is a lot of suffering and time and pain and costs associated with this. And you just realize it never had to happen in the first place. And it becomes quite frustrating. So um, initially, I tried to make change from within the system. And if anybody has worked in healthcare, it's quite challenging. You have a lot um, you're, you're pushing up against. So I tried to really make a difference within my hospital system. I tried to get changes made to the patient meal trays. Um, again, if anyone's been in the hospital or worked in a hospital, the meal trays are not a picture of health or nutrition that we should aspire to be eating like. So it was a lot of frustrations over and over and not feeling like I could actually make a difference. And so eventually, you know, I went to a different startup, but all the time I was thinking about how to solve some of those problems. And to me, it kept coming down to uh, what is the root cause? The root cause here is lifestyle habits and metabolic health is kind of that foundation that stems a lot of these chronic conditions, a lot of these complications. And then I started to look at solutions for how can we address metabolic health and drive meaningful behavior change way before you end up in the ICU with diabetic complications. Um, and that's where I discovered the continuous glucose monitor and started to put them on friends and families who didn't have diabetes. And I realized that it's a powerful behavior change tool and it gives you that useful data to address some of those root problems. And then from there, it just became absolutely obsessed with everything in that area. I met my two co-founders, um, one of which comes from a technical background and one of which comes from a business background. And so between the three of us, we kind of had all the skills we needed. We were all so passionate and excited about this. And that's where NutriSense was born about four years ago now. Wow. I just love, I love the story. And I, yeah, you, you don't think that in critical care that what's coming up are these acute manifestations of something that was very chronic for a very long time. And you think about the pain and anguish and suffering costs that, you know, even incurred well before they ended up in the ICU dealing with an amputation or dealing with dialysis or dealing with, you know, kidney issues, whatever that may be, that's become this acute issue, you know, from longstanding chronic issues like deregulated blood sugar and insulin resistance. So I wanted, so curious when you first got started, you know, getting, putting, kind of slapping CGMs on everybody, what were, and, and even, I kind of want to translate over to some of the, kind of the research and what you've been seeing in the data in terms of behavioral change, you know, what did you first initially see with friends and family members? Because I'm sure it was alarming for them to see that they were having more blood sugar spikes than they could have ever possibly imagined. I don't think anyone even thought that we had, I mean, we talk about with kids like having sugar highs, you know, and, and, you know, kids running around eating too many popsicles or something during the summer, you know, that's, that's a thing. But I don't know, think of anyone ever attributed to actual, like these kind of diabetic ranges that are happening when our blood sugar is spiking. Yeah, absolutely. And I was the first person, you know, N of one doing some self-experimentation. And before this, I had done a lot of the glucometer finger pricks. So I felt like I had a good idea of what was happening with my glucose levels. I would check it fasted. I would check it, you know, two hours after a meal. And then the first time I wore a CGM, it was like 
all this new information that I could never capture with the glucometer. So even just with myself, um, I remember specifically there was different fruit I had tried with the glucometer, but when you're checking two hours after a meal, you really have no idea how high your glucose is going in between. So I thought I had a sense of how my glucose was responding. And then the first time I ate pineapple by itself on an empty stomach wearing a CGM, you know, it was a pretty eye-opening experience of what your glucose can really do. So for me personally, you know, I learned so much. I realized even as an expert in this area, even from testing other modalities that you really don't know what you don't know. And when you get that movie picture view of your glucose, you learn so much. But then, you know, I put it on my mom, my aunt, my uncle, my best friend at the time, um, coworkers at the other startup I was working at before NutriSense. And that's when I realized, one, everybody has really different glucose responses. That was shocking. Even in that really small sample size before the company started, we've only seen that more and more now that we've worked with thousands of people is that you and I could both eat a banana. You and I could both eat a sweet potato. You and I, you know, could both eat a salad with a bunch of things in it. And we're going to have completely different glucose responses, even though we're both metabolically healthy, you know, we're both females. Um, so really seeing the variability between people was super interesting, but then also seeing those peaks in glucose values. So it's really hard to capture that peak. Like I said, with the traditional uh, metrics, if we're measuring fasted glucose, of course, it's just a fasted state. If we're measuring hemoglobin A1C, that's our average glucose. So we're not getting to see the swings in between. Um, so really seeing for some people how maybe their go-to breakfast. So my mom, bless her, we've really improved her diet. Actually, it's been a fantastic journey for her. But, you know, she used to eat whole wheat toast with peanut butter and a little bit of honey on it. That, you know, there's no protein, there's a lot of carbohydrates. Even without the honey, you know what I'm saying? But like add the honey to that. I used to try to kind of encourage her to maybe try different breakfasts, but she liked this. She wasn't that motivated to change it. And then when she saw her glucose values response to this, which were very, very high, and then it put her on this roller coaster the rest of the day, like how you start your day creates either that positive flywheel or that negative flywheel. Let's speak about that because I, I try to really impart how important that first meal of the day, it can set the tone for longer, at least of what I saw in a lot of my patients and even myself for more than 24 hours. Like I, it could take me a minute to get back to baseline, like sometimes 48 hours. And that's eating like salads and salmon for the rest of the day. You know, we're not talking about anything besides protein and vegetables, just trying to get myself back to baseline. And I get that there is variability with people, but I find that breakfast can make you or break you. Absolutely. It totally can. And we see this with a lot of people. And what happens often is if we have that larger glucose response, typically we also see some of this reactive hypoglycemia afterwards. So the body tends to overcorrect essentially. So, you know, let's say you have the toast with the peanut butter and the honey and your glucose goes up really high. And then your body's basically like, whoa, we need to take care of this. And so it kind of overcorrects. The good news is that means you probably still have some insulin sensitivity because your body is being sensitive to that insulin response, but then you dipping, you're dipping down. And a lot of times then that triggers cravings, 
hanger, sometimes the need to take a nap. All of these things are not normal. I want people to know you don't have to feel this way, but then often people will snack or they'll they'll grab something else or they're hungry pretty quickly afterwards rather than feeling satiated. So it makes it more challenging to stay on track the rest of the the day with just meal choices, but it also increases that variability that people experience the rest of the day. So really, really focusing. If you're going to do one meal at a time, like let's say your glucose is has a lot of room for improvement. Find one habit to start with and pick that first meal of the day and really focus on making it protein focused, you know, minimizing, especially refined carbohydrates, but really nailing in that protein focus. So eventually, like I was kind of saying with my mom, you know, when seeing that data makes it so much more meaningful. And that is really the power of something like a continuous glucose monitor. People have probably experienced this if you've never worn a CGM, if you wear, you know, a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or an Aura Ring, that data is powerful because suddenly, A, you can't hide from it. (laughs) Somebody once called their CGM their truth meter. And I love that because it's exactly true. You know, you can't hide from it. Ignorance is bliss, but sometimes you need to just know. And then it becomes more meaningful. It's like, ooh, that is having a negative impact let me try something else. And then you get immediate feedback if this alternative option is better. So switch the breakfast to maybe eggs with some fruit. Eat the eggs first, protein first before your carbohydrates is an easy hack to improve that glucose response. And then you see, whoa, my glucose is way better. I feel better. My energy levels are improved and the whole day is going better. And so now suddenly it's so much more meaningful to stick to that habit When you go to reach for the honey or the toast, it's not even as tempting because you're like, oh, I've seen what it does. So it helps to really create those sticky habits for people and drive consistent behavior change, consistent, you know, day over day habit change. And that's really what leads to the outcomes we're looking for is that consistency. But building in consistency traditionally with people is quite challenging. You know, anybody who works with clients knows that you can educate till you're blue in the face, but unless they're doing it, unless they're really sticking with it, you're not going to see the results. So any sort of tool that improves that ability to be consistent, held accountable, and increase that internal motivation is a huge win for everybody. I agree 100%. I think of all of the tools, you know, there's so many wonderful biohacking tools or kind of looking at real time what's going on with your sleep or what's going on with your your stress levels or your kind of your body battery, your steps. I would say that I find that the continuous glucose monitor paired with technology like NutriSense is just game changing. It is so profound. Like I do believe you should know your numbers like you know the numbers of your bank account because it's that critical to your overall health and well-being. I do want to get into some hacks and some things that you've seen within the data, but I would love for you to touch upon kind of the connection between, you know, consistent blood sugar spikes over time, how that lends to insulin resistance and why that's a concern for us. And I get that we don't have a fructose monitor yet, so we can't look at that, but man, that honey is lighting things up, you know, on that toast. And that's a whole other thing. But we do know that with blood sugar, we're going to see an insulin rise as well in a response, kind of like we saw with your mama, right? She had that hypoglycemic response, probably dropped below, way below probably 65 milligrams per deciliter as an overcorrect. And then, yeah, your body starts to want something else to, to kind of bring that blood sugar up. And so Would you spend a little bit of time, you know, when you were thinking about the thing that was going to create the biggest behavior change, but also was going to make the biggest impact 
towards kind of reversing, or I don't know if we can say reversing insulin resistance, let's say adjusting insulin resistance, (laughs) improving insulin sensitivity. How about that? Um, That this was a way that we could actually make consistent change in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tackle that question in a couple ways. Um, First is just why glucose um, is such an important metric. So as you mentioned, I'd love either to add on, layer on top of this continuous fructose, continuous insulin, you know, there's a bunch of data points that we would love to see, but the technology is not quite there. It is certainly coming in the future though, and we will definitely adopt it when it comes. But um, glucose, if you think about 80-20 rule, you know, what's the biggest bang for your buck? If we stabilize glucose values, so many things improve. Because if you think about glucose as the fuel system for your metabolic engine, so to speak. So metabolic health is basically how well can we process food, turn it into usable energy, store it appropriately if it's not needed right then, and then tap into it when we need it. So it's everything to do about our energy system. So it's basically our body's engine, right? And then glucose is that fuel source, the primary preferred fuel source for that engine. We of course have other fuel sources as well. So if you think about, if we're really taking the car analogy, you think about a hybrid car, you can think about sometimes we'll tap into glucose or gasoline, and sometimes we'll tap into fat or ketones. And that's maybe more like electric energy, but we want to be able to switch our energy source appropriately and utilize energy in the best way possible, as efficiently as possible. And so by By monitoring glucose levels, you can see if that metabolic engine is working properly. And if it's not, where you might need to drill down in order to get it back into that optimal state. So that's kind of like at a high level why glucose is is really part of that fundamental core of health overall. And then if we think about what is actually happening when your glucose is out of range um, before you hit that threshold to diabetes. So Diabetes diagnosis, you know, means that we have crossed that average glucose and or that fasting glucose above a certain threshold, which basically indicates that metabolic system now doesn't work really at all. So we basically mean that it's completely decompensated. We want to intervene way before. Of course, if we've waited to that point, there's still a lot you can do. So I don't want people to think that That means, you know, there's nothing left to do. There's so much ability to improve, in my opinion, reverse diabetes, but technically not supposed to say the word reverse diabetes, but I have seen it so many times that I'm okay saying it. I'm very much okay with you saying it as long as you're good saying it, you know, that we absolutely have the ability to turn that around. And there are multiple touch points before we even get there. And I think a lot of the women that are listening to this definitely are struggling with insulin resistance and maybe even kind of early prediabetes. I mean, I had to walk back insulin resistance, you know? Exactly. Um, It's estimated, you know, 93 plus percentage of the U.S. population is not metabolically optimal. Um, And I'd estimate maybe it's even higher. But if we look at, you know, if we get to the threshold of type 2 diabetes, that took decades to develop. So there's many inflection points, like you mentioned, prior where we're going to see those warning signs. And the sooner you can catch that on that trajectory, the better, the easier it is. And so if we start to you know, take a step back, we'll see the prediabetes thresholds. We certainly want to intervene if that's your first step. But as we were mentioning before we started recording, so often you might get a pre-diabetic diagnosis or lab value and your physician might not say anything about it. 
Or they might say, oh, let's watch this. Make sure you know you're eating well and exercising and we'll check it next year. The amount of times I've heard that over and over. Whereas if you start to see those lab values cross those thresholds, please, please, please take your health into your own hands and know that that's a great moment to change as much as you can to put it back in that other direction rather than waiting a year to see if you've crossed into diabetes, even before pre-diabetes. Let's even roll it back some more. So let's take the the 93% of us as adults that are in that category, who even may even be in the other categories, but at least we know a number of us are, you know, whether you know it or not, this needs to be on our radar. Yeah. So typically, you know, if your average glucose looks pretty good, if your fasted glucose looks pretty good, the first warning sign of some metabolic dysfunction or early signs of insulin resistance typically come in those post-meal glucose values. So those glucose spikes. And so that's why when we measure this, we can see some of those early indicators. um, And that kind of gives a warning sign that your body is working pretty hard to regulate those glucose values. And what's happening during, you know, those glucose spikes above normal. The other thing I really like to mention is that an absolutely flat glucose line is not the goal either. Some variability is normal. Um, You know, if we eat you know, zero carbs and we just guzzle vegetable oils all day, like probably going to have a flat glucose line, but or vodka. Yeah. Or vodka. Yeah. So like the goal isn't a flat glucose line. And that's why in our app, um, you know, it'll indicate your glucose score for the day and you'll have some variability. You might go up and down and you could still get a 10 out of 10 score for the day. And that would indicate it's normal, but glucose values above normal thresholds are both, you know, if we take a zoomed in look at the cellular level, it's really putting a lot of stress on that mitochondria. So the mitochondria is where we have to process all that energy. So I really think about it as like, we're putting the gas pedal down, like we're flooring the car and it's going to do what it needs to do, but not without consequence, right? We're creating all these um, reactive oxygen species. We're creating some metabolic damage, some oxidative stress in order to deal with this glucose load coming in. And if that only happens every once in a while, a birthday party, Christmas, your body's fine. It can correct for it. We don't have to be perfect. That's the good news. <laughs> um, but if we're doing this at every breakfast, lunch, and dinner, eventually, just like if you you're flooring the car every single time you drive, you're going to put damage on the engine and eventually it's not going to work as well. So it's similar. We're putting stress on the body. We're creating a lot of this reactive oxygen species. Um, We're creating inflammation. And then it also creates damage to the, the vasculature of the body. So those blood vessels, um, where our glucose is, is a very thin lining of cells, the endothelium. And when we have those big fluctuations in glucose, it's damaging to that endothelial tissue. And that's why one of the indicators or most common consequences of diabetes is cardiovascular disease because it's damaging that lining. Um, so that's kind of what's happening, even if you don't have diabetes or pre-diabetes, when we're having these big glucose swings, we're kind of damaging some of that fundamental structure of the body. And again, it's about repeated. Um, so if we're doing this kind of day in, day out, eventually it's going to create that damage. And then maybe 10 years from now, you're going to see the pre-diabetes. Another 10 years, you're going to see the diabetes. But what we want to do is see it really early. So you can just swap some meal choices, maybe improve your fitness. Maybe it's stress you need to address, but get it kind of back down into those baseline levels so that we never even have to worry about kind of those other later inflection points. Mm. 
Thank you. I, I so appreciate the kind of breaking it down in such a beautiful and simple way. Would you be open to sharing? I, I really loved using the NutriSense app and I love the um, the wiggle room. I will say that there's, you know, and so you do get a score, but also there is a range that is set. And so would you be open to sharing kind of, you know, from the data, what kind of what that, what would be within um, normal range, kind of staying within that normal range. I know for me, I have an optimal range that maybe I'm always mindful, like maybe I'm like, maybe it's too optimal, you know, but I think it's always worth sharing too, just to kind of open the door of what's possible. But I will say that in order to keep within an optimal range for myself, I got to really be on top of it. I got to very, I got to be disciplined for sure. So please share <laughs> what, what kind of where, where you guys land. Yeah. So our default settings that we start everybody out at is 70 milligrams to deciliter, 70 to 140. And so again, you can adjust these and it will also adjust your scoring, but that's a good baseline for non-diabetics to typically aim for. 140 is kind of where we really don't want to see glucose spikes going above that very often. Some people like I adjust my lower threshold to 60 rather than 70 because I'm often in the 60s and feel really good. So if you're non-diabetic and especially if you're lower carbohydrate, um, sometimes you'll be in those lower ranges. And if you have no hypoglycemic symptoms, that's perfectly okay. And then sometimes, you know, people will adjust that lower or upper threshold a little down or a little higher. Like if you're pre-diabetic, we might raise it to 160 to try to get you into that range as a first step. And then when you get there, we'll lower it back down to 140 to kind of make those incremental improvements. If you're lower carbohydrate um, diet or especially a ketogenic diet, we'll usually set the threshold to 120 because we really wouldn't expect it to go much above that. But 70 to 140 is kind of baseline of where we start. Okay. And I love that because I think that does give a lot of people wiggle room. I'm very much of the of the threshold, at least for myself, is 60 to 120. And ideally, I even like to stay around 110, 115. I usually often don't raise above 115. And that's kind of been my, but I know that that can be really hard to do. And so it's, it's more, it's all relative. I, I don't know, some people would argue that that is more optimal, but I say if, you know, if you can, if ideally you can stay within, you know, spikes around 120, 130, you're looking really good and you're not having massive swings, that you're keeping it more steady. You're not swinging over, you know, 130 down to 65, you know, consistently. So I just wanted to just have you share that to give a little bit of insight as to, you know, what people are looking at when they're looking at, when they're scanning those CGMs, what's showing up on, on the app. Yeah. And the four um, things we really look at the most within that range. So while it's 70 to 140, if you're between like 130 and 140 all day, obviously that's not optimal. And so 140 is kind of what we set as a baseline for that peak glucose value, but we also want to look at average glucose value and we recommend 105 or lower, um, which is, you know, a tighter threshold than what the A1C is equivalent is for like pre-diabetes. But there's a lot of research to indicate we really want to keep it below 105. And then we also look at what's called standard deviation, which is an idea of how much your glucose is swinging. So the concept of glycemic variability and interestingly, um, the research shows that somebody with a higher glycemic variability, even if their average glucose is lower, will have worse outcomes than someone who maybe has 
steady glucose levels, so less variability, but a higher baseline. So those swings are really damaging um, as we were kind of talking about some of the mechanisms there. So we want to keep the swings at a minimum. It's okay if it goes up every once in a while, but you don't want to be going up and down all day long, even if it's within normal range. And then the fourth one is just where your glucose, glucose is at when you are in a fasted state. So while you're sleeping in the morning before you've eaten, and a lot of people will think that they know their fasted glucose level because they get it checked maybe once a year or they do the random finger pricks, but it can vary a lot. Um, it's another thing you'll learn when you start to wear the CGM. You know, maybe this morning I woke up and it was 65, but then tomorrow I wake up and it's 95 because I got a poor night of sleep. I'm super stressed out. I ate a late meal last night. And so it varies quite a bit. And so really seeing what is moving that fasted glucose level is another huge insight you can get even from just wearing one CGM 14 days. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I always tell people, I, ideally, I recommend someone wear one for a month. Really give yourself a full month. And honestly, in an ideal scenario, I say three months because that's where I see massive behavioral change. But I think even within that first month, I was just so blown away. I was just like, oh my goodness. Wow, this was, it's so, it was just so, I mean, every day I'm just like, hmm. And then you can start to play with things and, and see and kind of, you know, be that N of one, just like, oh, what happens when I do this? You know, and so I think it's, you can do that within that month window, but even two weeks can give you a, a lot of insight. I love wearing one every quarter for accountability, just to make sure that I'm on my P's and Q's. Like I know where I like my fasting glucose to be. I like it to be in the seventies. And it's really fascinating when poor sleep or, eating too late, like we're really great at eating early. We eat by 6 p.m., but sometimes that doesn't happen and I'll always see it in the morning. I'm like, oh, there it is, you know? And so I always check my um, my glucose before bed as well, just to kind of get a sense of like where I'm gonna land. And was it sleep that was messing with me or was it blood sugar that was messing with my sleep that messed with me the next day? I mean, there obviously there's so much nuance and there's so many variables to look at. But the more you wear it, the more you can really fine tune what is going on for you, which I think is so beautiful. And I know you guys have a lot of different options to make that work for people, depending on whatever the journey is. I would love for you to share based on kind of what you guys have been looking at. Um, and I'm so grateful. One of the things I love that you guys look at is that that variability across time, where because those spikes really do add up and are not in our favor but I know that fasting blood sugar is so important. So in, in the research kind of, you know, and I know you guys are still looking at this, it's only four years in, um, but what is a, what, where would we love to have our fasting blood sugar? Because that's the one thing I feel like we can really keep an eye on every single day outside of postprandial after our meals. Yeah, absolutely. So again, if, if you're going to go to a doctor's office and you'll see your reference ranges, they're going to say, keep it under a hundred, um, which yeah, wouldn't recommend. Um, I'm sure you, people have heard the spiel that there's a difference between optimal and reference ranges. So always important to keep in mind that just because it's marked as normal or not normal from a lab panel does not necessarily mean that that's what you want to aim for. What we recommend typically is between that 60 range and 90. So that 90 is really kind of an up threshold for fasted glucose levels. And again, you know, that 60 to 70 range with the caveat that just make sure you're not having hypoglycemic symptoms. Some people do feel hypoglycemic and that is a signal from your body. Your body is trying to tell you it's not getting the energy that it needs. So just being mindful of that. But most people who are non-diabetic feel pretty good in that range. And, you know, there's a lot of research at this point to indicate that fasted glucose values above 90 are an independent risk factor for 
insulin resistance, future diabetes, future cardiovascular disease. I think at one point in time, I don't remember how long ago, the official guidelines were 110 and they lowered it to 100. I was going to say it wasn't that long ago that it was 110. I think people still probably think it may be 110 out there. But yes, even 100, that major red flag for me, if I see anything getting close to 100, honestly, if anything's above 90, I'm just... Yeah. And like I said, you you know, like, as we mentioned, sometimes there's going to be factors that raise your fasting glucose. And if it's isolated and you can pinpoint what happened and you can correct that, like sometimes my fasting glucose will be in the nineties if I've done multiple things wrong. So to speak, where it's like, you know, I had the late night meal because I was meeting clients and, you know, some circumstance where I had a later dinner and then maybe I slept poorly and stress. Those are the three things that are usually going to raise somebody's spastic glucose levels, late night dinner, stress levels, poor sleep. So really look at those. If you have really high stress levels every single day and you're seeing your fasted glucose values in the high nineties, hundreds every single day, then, you know, of course that's going to be the thing that you really want to prioritize. You really want to get improved. But if you're seeing it situationally um, because of some event happening or something acutely stressful, you know, keep in mind that just like an occasional glucose spike, there's a little bit of flexibility, but we want to be understanding of what those variables are and try to improve them as much as possible and really aim for under 90. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just thinking about when you were saying the late night meal, but like so many of us are having late night snacks and late night desserts, not even just snacks. (laughs) I was going to say, this is when people eat the most is late at night. It's it's the biggest thing that we often have to work with people on is, is that late evening munching. Yeah, there's there's someone in my household who does that. And I'm not going to name names. There's only three of us. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a major, it will, you will see it reflected in your fasting blood sugar every single morning if you're having snacks. And it will impact your sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, your body has to work so hard. You know, and you think about during with sleep is where so much magic happens. You know, melatonin helps to boost mitochondrial production. Some of our hormones, some of our most precious hormones like progesterone are released in the evening. Like I am not messing with my progesterone levels. She is already trying to leave me. She's already like almost out the door right now because of my age. And so I am not giving her any reason to decide to not um, level up in the nighttime when I'm sleeping or even the brain, you know, I was um, I was sharing with you, and I don't mind sharing with um, with everybody. But this is my first interview after we're really progressively and aggressively, I guess you could say, um, working to reverse the post concussion syndrome that I have been um, dealing with. And I, you know, I think so often there's a lot of things that we take for granted in our body. Energy is one of them, man. But definitely brain function. You know, there were days where. I wasn't able to shower. I wasn't able to fold laundry. I wasn't able to help my husband with my toddler's breakfast and morning routine. I just couldn't even get out of bed. And um, and so it's been a slow progress back to equilibrium. But one of the things that I knew were so, so critical in lowering the amount of brain inflammation that I was dealing with was making sure that my blood sugar levels were optimized during this time because that's just one more stressor on my brain that my brain does not need right now. My brain does not need extra sugar to have to deal with or deregulated blood sugar responses or too much insulin resistance. And so, or sorry, it like raised insulin um, inside of the bloodstream. And so that's one of the areas of focus for me. And, and we know that 
uh, one of the more progressive, you know, cognitive declining conditions like dementia and Alzheimer is potentially driven or at least plays a critical role in deregulated blood sugar and insulin resistance over time. And you don't have to have pre you don't have to have diabetes for this to happen. We're seeing this um, in people with prediabetes, it, it, levels of insulin resistance that's close to prediabetes. And so that has been something that has been so on my mind in this healing journey of like, how do I ensure that I optimize my metabolic health and optimize my mitochondrial health? And so much of that is based on the daily activities that I'm doing and what I'm putting in my mouth every single day. Like I always ask people, what do you want? Is this what I'm eating right here? Am I cool with this being my future brain? And that's such a powerful question to ask. And I really ask myself that question a lot, especially these days. I'm like, is this the thing that is going to make up my future neurons? Like, is this what I want to put into my body right now? Because I realize how critical it is to have all of our faculties about us, to be able to think and function and do the things that we really want to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much I could say on this topic. Um, But even to your point of just, you know, there's nothing like an injury for you to realize how important health is and to be grateful for health. You know, I'm sure many people have experiences at some point in their life, something that just makes you really grateful for health and really not want to take advantage of it. So if you are in good health right now, you know, the goal is to appreciate that and keep it there as much as possible. And like you're saying, when your body is working hard to correct something, even the example of often new parents, um, maybe sleep is going to inherently take a hit. So you don't want to add on that detriment by um, having poor nutrition choices or, you know, not uh, skipping your workout, et cetera. Um, so it's really about how do I compensate with the right habits to help um, if something else is maybe off balance for whatever reason. And then within brain health itself, as you're mentioning, it isn't just about diabetes where we have to start worrying about brain health. Even though, as many people may have heard, some people call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes because that connection is so strong. What many people don't realize is how glucose sensitive and glucose greedy our brains are and our nervous system is. Um, you know, it takes up almost 20% of our glucose demands, even though the brain is only 5% of our weight. So proportionally, it's using a lot of this energy much higher than some of our other organs. And so if we have any impairment in insulin sensitivity, insulin signaling, the brain is typically taking that hit first, or it's one of the first organ systems to feel some of that detriment of that breakdown of that metabolic engine, that metabolic system. So there's so much overlap in uh, neurological conditions, brain health, dementia, and insulin resistance, insulin signaling. And even beyond that, um, so not just thinking about dementia and Alzheimer's, we know that glucose levels and those fluctuations throughout the day and our insulin sensitivity impairs or enhances our day-to-day just cognitive abilities. So our ability to focus, our ability to crush it at work, you know, our ability to show up as our best self is going to be impacted from what our glucose levels are doing. 
So we know hyperglycemia without diabetes. So again, when we're seeing those high swings, even without the diabetes threshold, impairs cognitive function. So things like the ability to focus, the ability to have executive function. So kind of those more complicated cognitive abilities that make humans humans, our ability to have good attention span, um, that inflammation in the brain. So all of these things are going to impact our day-to-day ability to just function at our best and then energy levels, as you mentioned. Sometimes, of course, there are things outside of our control. Your example is is a is an example of this, of we're, we're going to have energy dysregulation, or some of these things are going to be more challenging, but we don't want to make it even more challenging for our body by feeding it fuel. That's going to add this additional layer of inflammation and energy dysregulation, et cetera, et cetera. So we have so much responsibility and so much power to fuel our bodies as well as possible that I really like to help people think about this as an empowerment tool. It's not a punishment. You know, it's not like, Oh, I wish I could eat the can. I feel deprived. It's about, wow, I get to nourish my body. I love um, the mindset shift you mentioned of, is this food how I want my brain to end up? You know, this is going to be a direct reflection and we get to make these choices. It's so empowering. And so a lot of people feel out of control, I think, with some of these things, like um, there's nothing they can do or the world is against them. And, but we do have a lot of control to kind of put ourselves in the best possible situation. I agree. Well, and I think about even I've been so grateful to have such great guidance in this brain recovery um, process. But at the end of the day, I'm the one taking the supplements. I'm the one driving the treatments. I'm the one making sure I'm sleeping. I'm the one doing the meditations. You know, a lot of it has got to be within our control, within, you know, it's got to be, you know, in a way self-regulated or or self, you know, self-governed. And so even when we have the good, we have great doctors and we have you know a great team around us, at the end of the day, they're not, you know, they're not checking out my supplement protocol. They're not making sure I'm going to sleep early enough. You know, though those are the things that we get to own and we get to gauge how we're feeling and you know how we're waking up every single day. You know, a lot of, you know, I talk we talk a lot about, you know, what do those labs look like when we're looking at some degree of metabolic dysfunction. If 93% of us have it, is it blood sugar for someone? Is it triglycerides? Is it hip to waist waist ratio? Is it blood pressure? Kind of all of those markers that we look at when we go to the doctor. But what a lot of people don't realize is it's the brain fog. It's the low energy. It's the sleep issues. It's the moodiness. It's the hangriness. It's the crash at four o'clock in the afternoon these are real-time disruptive symptoms that are an indicator that something isn't right in terms of our energy processing systems within our cellular energy. And, and I think a lot of us, you know, we kind of, you know, maybe it's our hormones and, and it's interconnected. There, I mean, insulin is a hormone. <laughs> it's, it's involved. Cortisol is a hormone. It's involved. They co-elevate together. So there's that as well. But I think, you know, I think we're missing the boat where we've always just been told, okay, it's okay, it's okay, until it's not okay. And not to really be looking at some of these symptoms as, oh, man, I'm feeling not alert. I'm having a hard time with word recall. I am struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Could this have anything to do with a late night dinner last night or with that extra snack I had at 10 p.m.? You know, looking at that through the lens of metabolic health, That's where I think these CGMs come in so handy because, man, numbers don't lie. Like you said, it's a truth teller. (laughs) 
And another thing related to that, that many of our customers, they don't realize is going to be a benefit, but once they start wearing the CGM um, is really enhancing that mind-body connection. So like you're saying, it's putting that symptom, um, that feeling, that experience to an actual concrete decision. And then you can start to feel those symptoms a little bit better. So it kind of enhances your ability to listen to yourself internally because We've lost a lot of that ability um, as a society. And especially if that's your normal, if your normal is energy fluctuations throughout the day, um, you know, brain fog throughout the day, hanger, anxiety can also be something that's related to those glucose spikes variability. If that's your normal, it starts to, again, just feel normal and you don't realize that it can feel different. And so for many people looking at the data can help them start to see where they feel best. Sometimes talking about ranges, people will feel their best at a very specific glucose range. And it might be unique to you where you're like, you know what, even if maybe physiologically, there's no mechanism to know that my glucose, there's something bad if my glucose goes above 110. But when I do, that triggers my anxiety. That's meaningful. Like you'll pay attention to that. And then maybe eventually after, you know, three months of wearing the sensor, if you're not wearing it, you can know I can feel my glucose is high right now because this is what that feeling is like. Um, and it's probably because of the thing I just did. And now you've connected that. And that's a really full, really powerful tool that you'll have forever. Um, you know, that ability to kind of feel some of those internal signals. I agree. Connecting, connecting what you're experiencing with what's happening on that the CGM is so, so profound. You really begin to listen to your body in a very different way. And you start to connect the dots. And it really, it is very much, it's so powerful for behavioral change. It very much is, which is what I love so much about it. (laughs) Yeah. And when you connect the dots, a lot of people end up with more flexibility, like you're saying. So instead of I can never eat X, Y, Z, I need to always go to the gym and do X, Y, Z every single day. You start to realize that, oh, I can eat this, but as long as I got my workout in today, you know, or I can do this as long as I'm sleeping well. Um, So you start to learn where you can be flexible. um, And this is where kind of meal stacking comes to play. Like you said, if we have uh, a breakfast that sends us on that roller coaster, um, then you need to be able to compensate and say, I need to regulate the rest of my meals for the next 48 hours because I know that probably sent me on a roller coaster. So it's having those tools in your toolbox to be able to make situational adjustments because what is challenging for people is if we have our list of things, we want to do the list of things that we learned and then real life happens. Like, let's be honest, real life happens. And so being able to be flexible and apply the tools you've learned from various different, you know, situations, various different data points so that you can stay resilient throughout the different situations is really the key here. So um, helping to people, helping to have people think less in a rigid mindset and more in that flexible mindset um, is really, again, what's going to help you be successful long-term. I agree. And also having, besides the tool of monitoring, also having the tools of kind of helping to regulate our blood sugar, you know, having some hacks in, in your pocket to regulate that. So one of the things I didn't do enough of that, you know, I just, I regret, you know, and I mean, it's, you know, I'm so happy that I have it now, but was walking. And it's one of the first things that I am doing to help support blood flow to my brain. So I'm walking as well. That's my first kind of level of exercise at the moment. 
but I was so just giddy and tickled by the benefits of walking post-meal, you know, just to help keep that, you know, blood sugar, you know, at a good, you know, reasonable place, especially if we ate a little bit later. You know, I had noticed, and I don't know if you guys saw this in some of your data, but at least for me and my family, my mama and all, I slapped on CGMs on everybody too. And one of the things we saw is when people, we, people ate, you know, six o'clock or so, and they had that same meal at 8.30. Gosh, it was a whole different ball game. And that was especially the case for me. You know, I, I found I just became a lot more insulin resistant as the night progressed. And so what we did is we moved our mealtime sooner. And honestly, it's better for my toddler anyway to, for him to eat on the early side. And then we take a walk as a family. And my husband and I have worn CGMs together for many years now, two years or so. And we, we've always noticed that it, there's such a big benefit, not only emotionally and mood-wise and just movement and connection as a family to go watch the sunset at the beach, but that our blood sugar, we would just see a very, I would, I would be able to stay around 115, you know. And so I would love for you to share, besides walking after meals, you know, other ways that we can just be kind of setting ourselves up for success throughout the day. Let's say we did end up having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Like people ask me all the time, well, you know, how quickly do I need to walk when I'm eating a gelato? I'm like, do what the Italians do, like walk and eat that gelato. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Walking is is a huge one. So yeah, walk as much as you can or movement. Um, you know, so let's say, you know, you need to like vacuum and clean the house, do it right after dinner um, or do it right after you've eaten. So any type of movement can be helpful if for whatever reason you're not able to like go out and get a walk in. This is really trendy at NutriSense employees, but we all have the little like walking uh, treadmills under our standing desk. Uh, so walking while you're on meetings, if you just ate lunch, you know, maybe you don't have time to get off, you know, log off and get outside. So movement is great. The protein first hack that we talked about is a big one. So let's say you have a plate of, you know, steak, broccoli, potatoes, eat the steak first. Even you don't have to like wait 10 minutes in between, just even a few bites of the protein before you start eating any carbohydrates makes a huge difference. Entering that parasympathetic state before you eat. So if you're, especially this happens for a lot of people like lunchtime work days. So we're rushing around, we're rushing around and we're like, and we're eating. And then a lot of people will eat that same meal on the weekends and it's so much lower. And it's like, well, let's talk about what's different. So if you can take those couple minutes to like calm yourself, take a couple deep breaths, that makes a huge improvement. It's wild. Eating earlier, like you mentioned, is a huge one. Any type of ability to improve your lean body mass, so strength training as much as possible. So building up that muscle reserve helps us to be more flexible and basically soak up that glucose if it is in circulation. So that's like essentially a long-term um, and security account for your body is having that lean body mass, especially as hormones change. So we work with a lot of women going through menopause. The number one thing that makes some women more successful from a glucose control than others is lean body mass, strength training. Um, it's huge. It's so important. 
Yeah, I think, oh, go on. What's another one? I'm sorry about that. No, there's tons that we could do. I was just going to say, people always ask about apple cider vinegar and it does actually work. So if you know, like you're, maybe it's Thanksgiving or, you know, whatever, you have something going up where, you know, maybe you're going to eat a little differently than normal. Um, Having some apple cider vinegar right before the meal actually does really help. So you can dilute it in water and drink it. That's usually the easiest way. Or you could just pour it on like a salad to start. So that's, that's another tip that helps. I can't, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it works. I know it does. Um, and I, I, we do a lot of vinaigrettes, you know, with, with apple cider vinegar in it. So that's kind of the way that I do it. But yeah, that's just, I mean, not everyone's going to want to drink apple cider vinegar before a chocolate cake. You know, it's just not, it's not sexy. Like, it's like, you got to like clear that out first. And, you know, one of the things I also recommend some of my women do is, you know, berberine or, you know, some a kind of some type of herbal glucose support as well. If, if apple cider vinegar isn't the thing, you know, that may be another option as well. And then I was going to ask, and I love the mindfulness, you know, honestly, in, in all of the educating of blood sugar hacks that I've done over the years, I, I talk a lot about stress reduction and sleep, but never being mindful. I will say that that is one that has been always really challenging for me. <laughs> it's hard. But that just, I mean, I just had this big aha moment of, yeah, that makes so much sense of just just being mindful about what you're putting in your body. So it's not a stressful event, you know, for your digestive system, I think is so important. Um, do you ever find that veggie starters help too? Like, you know, if people can have a salad before, I know not always, I mean, I'm a big protein or veggie starter person. And we're, I just find, I just spike so hard with carbs in general. Like I'm really mindful. I mean, everyone's different. Yeah, typically we see anything before the carbohydrates help. So whether it's protein, fiber, or fat, but we've just seen protein be the most successful across the board for everyone. So that's kind of like a, if you're not testing yourself, protein's your safe choice. But for a lot of people, fiber, so the the veggies beforehand does help. Okay, perfect. Good. Good to know. I just, just, I know people have, I've had so many, I know you guys get fielded so many questions. I've been fielded so many questions over the years of like the nuance of this. Well, well, how much berberine, how many minutes before my meal, you know, when should I drink the apple cider vinegar? What kind of, what kind of cup should I use? I mean, it gets, it gets really detailed in terms of what it looks like. I, people are so concerned they're going to mess it up, you know? And, and so my reminder there is always don't don't major in the minors. Like don't get too worried about the little 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 things. Um, like these things are going to help, but really focus on those like big fundamentals. Um, like you know if your stress management is out of control, like if you're so stressed out, don't worry about like how quickly, how soon to drink apple cider vinegar. Like ta- make sure you're tackling the most important things first. Probably why they're concerned about it. Okay. And then the other thing, you know, in terms of the data and the trends that you've seen, I know that there's a lot of variability person to person, but have there been some big, like, I know breakfast, setting the tone for breakfast in the morning, um, obviously eating late night snacks at night has been something we've got to reel in. Anything else that's just been kind of glaringly obvious besides, yeah, maybe, you know, don't drink a root beer float and then sit on the couch. You know, it's something like, obviously we know that consuming, you know, straight up sugar, whether it's ice cream or it's a big, big chocolate cake or whatever that may be, you probably guaranteed, even with the best metabolic health, you're going to see a rise there. Your body's going to have to deal with that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, I think for some of them is, is really being mindful of maybe some kind of like secret hidden ingredients. So reading the food labels of things, um, you know, an example is personally for myself, the Costco rotisserie chicken has like a dextrose coating on it. And I was noticing a glucose response, not like a huge spike, but still more than I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Right. You're like, this is straight chicken. What is going on here? Yeah. So mindful of things like that. Or, you know, especially like low carb products that will sometimes have like synthetic fibers that aren't always um, really actually that glucose friendly. So just kind of being mindful of maybe some like hidden secret ingredients and then the level of processing, you know, so a lot of people will be like, maybe take the example of like oats so that like oats is oats, but not necessarily. So there's instant oats, rolled oats, still cut oats, overnight oats. Those are going to have just like completely different glucose responses. So just thinking about like how processed is this food really? Um, Each level of processing on top of it is going to lead to that higher glucose response. The other thing, you know, we always talk about is one night of bad sleep can put you on that roller coaster. So really being mindful of like, okay, I didn't sleep well last night. I need to compensate today. Um, you know, I need to be extra mindful of making sure my meals are mostly just like protein and fiber, vegetables. I need to make sure I don't skip the gym because that's really going to help me. Um, or, you know, giving your body what it needs. Maybe you need rest. Maybe you don't need to go do your hit exercise. But knowing that impact of even just one night of bad sleep can all really make a difference. So there are a lot of, you know, a lot of things to consider. Um, Another one that is hard to know for certain without like looking at the data, but is really thinking about, because people always ask like, what diet is the best diet? How how many carbohydrates should I eat? Um, What, you know, what does low carb mean? What's the range? But I always try to explain as more like match your carbohydrate intake. So how many carbs you're eating to your carbohydrate threshold. So everyone's going to kind of have a sweet spot for how much their body can tolerate. And again, you kind of have to play with this by seeing the data. But a 30-year-old male who weighs 200 pounds and is 7% body fat because he's all muscle and he's uh, training for CrossFit games and (laughs) he can eat a lot of carbohydrates. And his glucose is going to look amazing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the um, postmenopausal woman who has maybe 30% body fat isn't very active. Her carbohydrate threshold is going to be really, really low. So it's thinking about these factors and you might be able to increase your carbohydrate threshold um, over time. But where is it at right now? It might be different for you versus somebody else, but trying to stay within that. So, you know, it's not a cut and dry recommendation, but just being mindful of it. When I think this really speaks to, I, I always tell people, you know, there's there's literally, I mean, yes, we we know that there, if you eat certain things, I can promise you, it's you're, you're spiking your blood sugar. However, the, you know, a lot of us just don't know where our blood sugar is in any given time because there's there are a lot of different factors to consider. I'm like, so you just don't know. And I'm like, and the only way that you can know is, is putting one of these on, is putting a continuous glucose monitor on. And, you know, I get, I get so much pushback from people about, well, my doctor won't give me one. They won't recommend it. You know, I've, I've had patients that had been diabetic, reversed diabetes, and are most definitely in the pre-diabetic range, but will not be given, you know, a continuous glucose monitor. And I think we just have to let it go. We got to just be like, you know what? There's a lot of things they're not going to give us there. You know, I wish that, you know, your average doctor is going to run a full hormone panel, but good luck on that. I would love to see them run a fasting insulin, but good luck on that. You know, and, and so there's a lot of things that we're probably just not going to get when it comes to our standard level of care in the healthcare system. 
And it's up to us. And so what we talked about earlier of, you know, we, we're the ones, we, we run the show when it comes to our own healthcare. We are the CEOs of our health. And if you are really curious to know what's going on with your blood sugar and as a window into knowing your metabolic health, it is imperative that you wear one of these for at least two weeks just to get a sense of what is going on. I mean, my mama's mind was blown. I was like, no, you're wearing one woman. I got to buy it for you for Christmas. Like you are wearing one. And it was such a wake up call for her. And I knew that she had a hemoglobin A1C of, of a 5.6. So I was like, you are knocking on the door, lady. So like, we need to get this one on you immediately. And so I just, I just really want to speak into that of just you, you don't know what you don't know. And it's so important for us to be able to measure and look and then make these real-time changes based on the information that you're given. And like I said, there's so many great tools out there about how we can eat to support our metabolic health, our gut health, our liver health. It's all interconnected. But that first step is just knowing where you land on that spectrum of, of, you know, of blood sugar variability and then go from there. Yeah, perfectly said. Um, you know, we get pushed back to why would you, if you're not diabetic, why would you need to monitor this? And yeah, don't I, I know we're on the same page. My eyes rolled so far back. <laughs> so how many times do I have to say this? But yeah, awareness is the first step. Um, you need the right tools and information to know where to go from there. And maybe you wear it for a month and you're like, great, actually a few little tweaks I needed to make to make sure I stay in a good place, but like I'm pretty good. Um, and that's great check that box, just like we should get labs every year to make sure we're on track. And then, like you said, a lot of people, we really recommend doing it that periodic use case where do it again a year later um, at a minimum to just kind of see, am I still on track? What are the trends? How have things changed? Um, You know, am I good? Am I not? But you might most likely put it on and be like, Ooh, I got a little work to do actually, but you wouldn't know that unless you waited another two decades for a problem to appear. And now we're being reactive instead of proactive. And we really have to start thinking more about being proactive as a society. So only way we're going to start moving the needle in the right direction. So, and even like you mentioned, only about a third of type two diabetics have ever worn a CGM. So it's not even a standard of care for people who have diabetes, which is absolutely insane. Um, Hopefully that stat changes for both diabetics and non-diabetics sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, we're we're making impact as much as we can. Yeah. I mean, you're providing the data to hopefully make that change, to, to make it see noticeable change in people's metabolic health, especially as they get older. As you mentioned, you know, I assure so many of the w- people that are using CGMs with you are probably women in perimenopause and menopause. And there is it really, you know, a, a big need for concern there in terms of what is happening as our hormones begin to shift. And if we didn't have that metabolic foundation, it just feels like the rug gets pulled from under us. And all of a sudden, you know, we start to see greater numbers of insulin resistance and, you know, we start to see our blood sugar numbers start to rise, you know, quick, like, you know, all of a sudden it just, it hikes up and there's reason to be concerned. Um, And so, you know, that's a lot of the women that are listening to us right now. Um, And so if, if you are, you're feeling that feeling of like, man, weight's not coming off. I've got all these other symptoms. I promise you the underpinning of your metabolic health is something that we got to address. I know so often your doctor is going to be like, oh, it's just estrogen or, oh, it's just progesterone, you know, but there's so much more to it. And those two hormones are helping to regulate your metabolism as well. And so I I just want to just impart one of the reasons why I had you come on here was really to help me advocate (laughs) for people to do this. 
Um, it's so important. It's so important for people to realize, you know, how, how much this data is going to impact how they're functioning and how they feel and their outcomes and that they are in control. And, you know, this is the first step, that awareness key. Um, you don't know what you don't know. And knowledge is power. We don't want to live in the ignorance is bliss category. And with the healthcare system that is all about, let's watch and see what happens to you without any modification changes, you know, we watch and see what happens as you head straight into type 2 diabetes. And it's more common than you think. It's it's happening more frequently than you think. And all of a sudden, what, what was a couple decade long progression to get there just happens like that. And you get that diagnosis. And that's just, uh, you know, it's it's what I, I don't want for any anyone to have happen. It doesn't need to happen. It, it never needed to happen. And I, and I guess that's the awareness. It's the education piece. And there's just so much we can do to walk it back. There really is. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. No, it really doesn't. So if anyone takes anything from this is that hopefully they feel empowered because there's so much you can do, like you said, um, at any point in that scale, you know, whether you're really metabolically healthy or whether you have type two diabetes, there's so much you can do. Thank you so much for coming on. So what I'll have, because I know you're thinking, you're listening right now and you're like, well, how do I get one of these? Like, you know what? It's about to be the fall. Summer's about to be over. Like it's time for me to get it back together, right? The the big barbecues and all that, you know, they're coming to an end. And so I think this is always a really great time. Honestly, any time is a great time. I really do recommend people wear one during the summertime because it again, during the times where we think we could take like a little break, I think that's the time to be monitoring. I think I always find like I'm the I'm the person who wears one during Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm the one who wears one during the, our holiday vacations. <laughs> Because I just want to see like how, because I, I believe that the holidays and vacations, like you can still have a good time and still honor and love your body at the same time. And so it's just a mindset shift. You know, you know, I have family that they just go, they just, it's all to the wayside, you know, and I'm just like, you know, I want to do vacation, but I also want to feel freaking fantastic when I come back from it. And so at any time, anytime's a good time, but I find that there, there tends to be a motivating time right now as we head back into the fall before the holidays happen. So what I'm going to do is I have a code for everyone, um, which I believe is for that $30 off the first month and you get dietitian support um, to kind of help you Again, it's pretty easy to understand. You guys do such a great job with the interface of really understanding how to work it. Um, I've had lots, my mama, my mother-in-law, all kinds of people use it, no problems at all. But then you also get somebody who really helps you to understand what's going on with your variability, kind of looking at the things that you may not be capturing when you are scanning your CGM, because you're kind of just looking at those numbers, you know, and kind of reporting what you're eating. So you're seeing the bigger trends, but then you have someone looking behind the scenes at some of those smaller trends that you may not be picking up on that could really offer more insight into what is going on with your metabolic health. So that is what you'll all get wrapped in on the code. It'll be in the show notes, super easy to find. Um, and I really, really want to inspire you to take the leap and just do it because the information that you will get from this will change the trajectory of your health and your life. That I can say with full conviction. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate your support, but um, yeah, and it's knowledge you can take forever. So a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to wear this forever. And we don't expect everyone to wear it forever, but it's knowledge that now you can be empowered with forever. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your brilliance with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. What a powerful conversation on one of the biggest epidemics facing over 150 million adults and teenagers in the U.S. I have a feeling 
you know at least one person in your life who is suffering from metabolic issues or issues related to metabolic dysfunction, specifically insulin resistance. And you may find yourself wondering if you should focus more on creating a more resilient metabolism. I know it's always at the top of my mind for my health and the health of my family. One of the things that Kara mentioned that really struck me is how metabolic dysfunction impacts so much of our body. It needs to be considered one of the biggest root causes for disease and ultimately death. Every single one of us can benefit from improving cellular metabolism. Every single one of us, right? And I know you know this. I know I know this. I especially know this because everything is riding on it right now in my healing journey. And if we can harness the right data, we really have the ability to unlock our cells' ability to be more efficient in creating energy for us. And what I mean by that data is having a continuous glucose monitor or something to monitor our blood sugar so we know what's going on in real time. Now, if you've been interested in trying a CGM with NutriSense, I have a wonderful surprise for you. As I shared during the interview, I have a discount code to get started with your first month with NutriSense. You get $30 off plus a month of free dietitian support. Now, I'll have a link and the code in the show notes along with my top blood sugar hacks guide, which is completely free, and it will get you well on your way to balance your blood glucose easier than you imagined. So I hope that you go and grab the guide at the very least, and definitely go and check out NutriSense because I will tell you, wearing a CGM that first month completely changed my life, and I know that it will for you too. As always, I'm so grateful to have you here. I've been on a mini sabbatical to get well, but I am back and I have so many incredible epic interviews, epic people coming on the show to just really um, help to support you in areas of health and personal development. So if this episode helped you in any way, please take a moment and subscribe to the show and take a moment to rate the show. That way, more women who are looking for answers about their hormones and their metabolic health have a place to land because at the end of the day, right, we all want to become CEOs of our own health. And that is what this show is all about. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 